Tor Nightfire, publisher of Dark Stars, New Tales of Darkest Horror, a novelette collection edited by John F.D. Taff. Dark Stars features 12 brand new stories showcasing today's top horror talent, from award winners and new voices like Stephen Graham Jones, Priya Sharma, Usman T. Malik, Caroline Kepnes, and Alma Katsu. Dark Stars is an homage to the classic horror anthology Dark Forces, edited by Kirby McCauley. All you have to do is sign up for Nightfire's monthly newsletter and follow them on social media. At Tor Nightfire on social and tornightfire.com. The story of a boy who dreamed of becoming a man, but dreamed up a monster instead. It has hunted you since the summer of 1994, back when we confessed who we were through mixtapes. When every movie at the video store had dirty heads. You were 13 and thought you knew who you were. Only the shadow with too many teeth knew you better. It still does. And it won't stop. Not until you come home. Back to where it all began. Part cosmic horror, part coming of age story. Dirty Heads is a terrifying read from the author of House of Size, The Fallen Boys, and A Place for Sinners. Out now. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror Podcast for readers writers, and creators. Welcome to Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are talking with M.M. Schill. She's an illustrator, author, associate editor at Pseudopod, amongst many other things. Say hi, Maggie. What's up, hi? The show is a part of Silver Shamrock's Hardcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. So let's just dive right into it. What got you into horror? Horror? Um, well, I've loved horror since I was a kid. Okay, this is a story. I said I was an extrovert, so I sell stories. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, I can distinctly remember being young, like itty bitty like kindergarten age and alien came on uh, a tv um my dad never liked it when i watched like horror stuff 
because like, oh, it's going to dement your mind. It's, it's, it's too scary for you. He said, it's too scary for you. That'll give you nightmares. Backstory, I grew up in a town uh, called Fall River, Massachusetts. It has a 75% opioid uh, epidemic going on. And uh, I regularly saw dead bodies on the street growing up. But my dad said that the horror movies were too scary for me. Um, so I think what really attached me to it was the fact that um, a horror in story, you know, like a scary story, a story telling dark, my favorite book as a child. And those things were controllable horror. They were controllable. They were packaged. They were cathartic. You could feel scared and then know it was over when it's end. That was a preferable world to the one outside my front door. Um, a controllable horror. Um, and it helped my little mind, which my dad never understood, I think, conceptualize the world around me, which fucking sucked, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'd say I got into horror uh, because, uh, I don't know, mental illness from childhood trauma. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Brandon, this really feels like something that you would jump into. So go ahead, man. I, I absolutely love that answer. The idea of trying to exert some kind of control over, uh, you know, the horrible happenings around you, you know, when you are kind of thrust into it in your everyday life and it just feels like, I don't know, tumultuous, I guess. Um, and you just never know what you're going to walk out that front door and see. Um, and, you know, I can, I can empathize with you. Uh, Fall River is about 10 minutes down the road from me. Um, <laughs> I, I lived there. Been there. My, my, I've lived there. Yeah. Um, my first two apartments were both in Fall River um, and not, you know, in a really horrendous area of town, especially the second one. Um, uh, but you 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 can't live there and make your way around the city um and not see that side of it. It's it doesn't try to hide. Uh, I actually there, there was a. Uh, the the article you had originally written for uh, Patrick at Deadhead Reviews, there was a line in there I loved. You said that Fall River is dotted with the ruins of Victorian grandeur. Um, and that was an, I, that's such a good line. I don't, yeah. yeah, I just don't know a more accurate way to describe yes. it. I grew up living in a Victorian house that used to be a Victorian mansion crumbling around me. And there's always a feeling as a child, you knew where these houses came from. It's like you're living in the corpse of opulence. That's what it always felt like. Beautiful houses, and you're just sitting in its skeleton, basically. Yeah. It's horrible. It's really, I know you lived it, but that is just horrifically beautifully stated. That's a lot. I of want things. a Victorian house now, honestly. <laughs> me too. One that's not falling apart around me would be great. <laughs> And uh, we're going to get to it. Well, I guess we're going to talk about it now, but that that story is titled The Long Nail Woman and Other Musings of a Creepy Little Girl. Um, and you can check that out right now on deadheadspace.com. Um, not just to be clear, not now recording, but like when this comes out, it's always weird to say that out loud because it's always a few weeks ahead of time. Um, but when I first read that, it it just I can't tell if it's written to be ambiguous. Is this 
uh, really happening? Is this something that a child's imagining? Or is it just something back to the first part? It's a little girl that happens to see a real event. Either way, it scared the shit out of me. And still, I read it two years ago when you first sent it to us. It still creeps me out. It's uh, not a story. It's uh, a personal essay. Um, in, I uh, Yeah, I was a, a little, little child. I can't tell you if it's real. I personally don't believe in ghosts or anything like that. I am the skeptic. The only skeptic I know that will welcomely go on a Bigfoot hunt in a haunted house <laughs> recording, like just sitting there like demons, you know, <laughs> why are you <laughs> like annoying everyone who actually believes in it? But yeah, that was real. And as a child, it is actually it is ambiguous because one childhood is inherently traumatic. I don't care if you had the best parents and you were came from the most prosperous area childhood is traumatic period and with that trauma i think overlaps um almost a dis like a dysphoria especially in trying to recall in memory it's dysphoria so did it really happen was it imagination was it the fact that our memory cells aren't quite fully fired when they're young so the blend between reality and fantasy is really thin at that age that's you know wow you just said the smartest, like you concisely said what I always thought about um, young adult fiction, like Nar Chronicles of Narnia. I'll even throw in Lord of the Rings uh, fantasy. I, I I like stories that bring me back to childhood. Brennan's debut book, Slattery Falls. It's uh, not children, but it is a, um, it's not even adolescence. It's young, young 20 year olds. Brennan, am I mistaken on that? No, I think it's the uh, the the new coming of age in in you know the uh, in 2021 2022 is is your your young your uh, early twenties are uh, the new late teens. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that that's that's a great way to say that um, because it could be real, but who cares? Because it's just fun or terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Brennan, I had a thought, but I lost it during. <laughs> Me trying to say something smart. So you go ahead, buddy. <laughs> I mean, I, I would even say, you know, the you you are kind of on that. Uh, did it happen? Did it not? I would even add, does it matter? Uh, yeah. Your your experience looking back on that and writing uh, that essay as an adult, um, you know, whether I, I don't even want to. I, I would love people to go to the website and read it for themselves. I mean, I think that describing this. Uh, phenomenon as the long-nailed woman is enough of a draw you can you can vividly paint that picture in your imagination um and then go and read it for yourself but uh, regardless of you know first of all there's no way to tangibly prove yes or no and regardless looking back on that as an adult uh, you're you're going to have kind of the the impact is already done mm -hmm. and uh Something just to point out, um, Fall River may sound familiar to a lot of you. And for those that can't pinpoint why, it's because that is the famous city of Lizzie Borden. Mm -hmm. um, there's I, I dated a girl years, years back, right? Like a few years before I met my wife. And uh, she lived in um, Swansea, I believe. Yeah, yeah Swansea. Across but, the river. Yeah, but she had family in Fall River. Uh and we were there quite often. And it's, you know, I, I like 
the um what's that park called where it's uh it's a naval ship it's got a carousel um, it's really uh um uh, simple it's uh maggie was that was that me you was that everybody because you froze on my screen for a minute i thought it was just maggie at first but oh my gosh she's gone <laughs> that's horrifying <laughs> What did Jed Shepard uh, yeah. take over? Oh, okay. I thought something was wrong with my computer. I have no idea. So everything froze on me for a second. Yeah. Battleship Cove. I found it. There we go. So you just had a moment where for audio, uh, audio listeners aren't going to see it, but um, you had a moment where since you have a background where it's like a haunted library, a haunted mm-hmm. library, um, you were there and then... You just oh no! <laughs> Not. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw Host, the movie that came out last year, um, but there is a scene that kind of reminded me of that. So it's creepy, <laughs> especially considering what we were talking about. But yeah, Battleship Grove. <laughs> That's a really neat park. I did see when Black Lives Matter when that movement got uh, mm-hmm. when it, I don't even know if hitting its peak is the right uh, phrase, but when it was super popular. Or when it was in its biggest all the protests were going on. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, I did see a Fall River at that specific park. There was a very peaceful protest with the citizens and cops, and it was really beautiful. But it's crazy because like I've gone there and it's really fun. You can bring your kids, but at the same time, people have been stabbed there. Yeah. (laughs) I used to go to see bands at the at the over at the fairground near Battleship Club all the time. And I mean Someone's doing heroin. Someone's getting stabbed. <laughs> I was I, surprised that Fall River partook in a Black Lives Matter movement. Um, if you've lived in Fall River, that's a racist city. <laughs> it's the proximity of Boston or something. I'm, I'm yeah. really surprised that was super peaceful. But I just have one more question about Fall River. And that was if uh, if you can attribute growing up there in any way, because New England, it, it's it's got a reputation for for birth and uh, horror fiction, mm-hmm. horror writers, uh, you name it from, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne, I consider him to be at least adjacent to horror. Um, but uh, him, King, uh, Poe, uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft yeah. um, a bunch, you know, others. Oh, you're wearing a Lovecraft shirt too, aren't you? No, I'm wearing um, a Mothman. So uh, okay. I, thought I, I also have the Lovecraft one. That's like the Mesotonic university. Mm. Sure, I got that one too. That's neat. So, is there anything that you can think of that you can attribute growing up where you grew up to uh, your love for besides what we talked about? Your love for um, fiction, horror fiction. Um, speaking of like Fall River specifically, horror is like in the dirt there, and I I don't know if uh, if Brendan knows anything about this. It's called something called the Bridgewater Triangle. Yeah. It connects uh, Bridgewater to Fall River. And then what, what is the one up north? I forget. The, the, anything up north of Fall River, we never see. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was my hometown, uh, mm-hmm. Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. My dad is one Bridgewater. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Cool place. Um, but yeah, that is considered like the Bermuda Triangle on land in New England. It's uh, haunted ground, basically. 
it's it shit happens in the tr- Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> it, it's really funny going back to when we first started the show, uh, two, maybe almost two years. Well, two years ago, but the show didn't air till uh, a little bit after we recorded an episode. But we were talking about the Bridgewater Triangle with an Australian author, and he's heard of it because he's into that sort of thing. But at that point, Brennan hadn't heard of it. And it was so funny because he grew up near it and he never heard yeah. of it. But this guy from Australia is like, oh, I know all about that. It's just mm-hmm. so it is so bizarre how that stuff works, because I didn't know about it for years. Yeah. You didn't know about the fo- the uh, goblins? <laughs> Not, as a, all river goblins? Yeah. Not as a kid. Nope. No. Uh, yeah. When the uh, the Globe Street fire, that famous fire that happened like. Uh, uh, early 20th century. Hmm. All the mm-hmm. workers were sitting on the Braga Bridge watching the mills just burn to the ground. They said they saw goblins so in creepy. the fire. And there's been goblin sightings on the reservation um, for decades since then. So there's this belief, because Fall River uh, came from the word Quickishan, which means uh, water underneath there's cave systems all under fall river and there's like some folklore around there that it's filled with not okay things essentially this entire city is uh built on cursed land or something bad shit happens in fall river honestly <laughs> a lot oh, of it <laughs> i did not know about that plus yeah. another another thing that's not really talked about in at least uh, in american history classes like in high school or those levels is um, King Philip's war. I mean, that is the <laughs> bloodiest war on U.S. soil per capita. It's more bloody per capita than the civil war. And we don't, we flat out really don't talk about it. And mm-hmm. I grew up right next to Plymouth and we didn't really talk about it. <laughs> it, it shaped our, it shaped our mm-hmm. country. Um. I'm going to jump to a terrible segue. I'm going to jump to pseudopod. I'm curious yes. how you got involved with that. Um, I have a mentor called Mary Robinette Kowal. Um, and uh, she, for some reason, I has like all connections within um, pro markets. And she said, I'll call it, hey, Escape Artists is looking for an editor, um, which is our parent company, Escape Artists Incorporated. Um, and they're like, oh, they need an opening for a uh, podcast, you know, and because po- that's a fantasy uh, podcast. Like, OK. And I applied over there and they I don't know. Something about my resume, like they're like, mm, do you want to join Pseudopod? <laughs> and I was like, OK, what's a Pseudopod? <laughs> <laughs> they're like, it's the horror one. I'm like, OK, I don't know why I got bounced, but they looked at my like, you know, my CV and was just like. I'm here. They need help at Pseudopod instead. Okay. <laughs> but my yeah. reference worked. I had a reference. <laughs> That's a big one. Like, it's fair to say, I know they've been going on for 10 plus years. It's a, it's a really popular podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just learned that <laughs> like six years ago. <laughs> What's your experience been? Uh, very good. Um, especially uh, going to conventions like I get a lot of panels with different editors from other pro markets. And I, what my, my best experience is when I sit with someone with an unnamed market that is very prestigious or something. And they wax poetic about like stories. And 
I'm I'm sitting there as someone from Pseudopod, and I have usually have like my boss Alex is there, and we're just sitting there like gremlins, <laughs> being like, um, being like, uh, is this the one punchy? <laughs> is this the punchy one we're talking about? <laughs> oh no, it was the one with the creepy girl. No, that you're thinking about the one where the guy fucked the egg. <laughs> <laughs> These are we don't see horrible stuff, by the way. Not horrible story. The stories like we get sent are like mostly just wonderful, and it, we have great writers. And um, I pretty much can ask to be on projects, and they'll put me on projects I want to be on. Um, right now, I'm in general submissions, meaning anyone who submits during our open season, like I demand to be in that because I like reading the new stories from people I haven't seen before or seen familiar names. Um, my other duty is I'm working on the. Uh, public domain project because we like to run programs of stuff that is coming into the public domain one they're free um two um there's a lot of authors especially from the pulp era that they don't get like notoriety anymore and hp lovecraft everyone knows hp lovecraft but the reason people know hp lovecraft is because he was really bad at business and he didn't have an estate and he didn't retain his rights so he was just floating in the public domain from the beginning. Mm-hmm. That's why, but there are other cosmic horror authors from the pulp era, women, everything. And they're not well known because they made money in their life and they knew how to protect their estate. <laughs> and we're just now having the public domain reach us. I work, but your question, you see, I ramble because um, I'm oh, do it. You can't shut me up. I'll <laughs> <laughs> oh, do it. I'm uh... <laughs> I mean, first off, I I still hear your accent. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I don't have one, really. Brennan, I don't really hear one either, but you definitely, I can definitely hear yours. Uh, and we like when people ramble because they tend to say a lot of interesting stuff, like you're saying right now. Content. But well, my for- duties are projects. I work on projects. I go to meetings. I go to conventions. I promote um, and I often work on actual editing. Um, it's my, it's an, ed- I'm an editor, <laughs> so I write editorial notes and I work with authors to get things where they should be. Uh, and I pass things back and forth to my executive editors. Um, and we make decisions. Um, and, uh, recently I've been recording podcasts for them, uh, hosting. So mm-hmm. I did that see that. <laughs> I did see that as of uh, recently. You had some. Uh, you were you were uh, on there with a few few authors. So, mm-hmm. what's is that your first time hosting? Yes, apparently that's something I'm getting into. You see a podcast. I, I'm cool just talking, rambling because you're a human. You give me a script, and I'm like, how do I human? <laughs> like immediately. <laughs> what's it been like though, as far as? Uh, doing that type of podcast um it's pretty good like it's pre-recorded and um uh marty the audio like uh dude um he is an amazing person because what he put on air was so much superior to what i recorded so now it's pretty good i I can relax saying you know what marty (laughs) he's the guy (laughs) doesn't matter uh how much I stutter or <laughs> uh, just start rambling off and or sounds of pages dropping, he'll get rid of that shit. 
he will spin my shit into gold every time. So I'm a lot more relaxed about it. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah, it's she got someone that is good with the technical stuff. You mm-hmm. you're probably okay unless uh well, you know, I fuck up a lot too. So yeah, yeah. you're good. Um, Brian, take over. <laughs> All right. So one thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, and I, I think that uh, we had a uh, a question from Twitter, which actually came from you, uh, that is going to tie into this. But I want to talk about balance because mm-hmm. you got a lot on your plate. You've got pseudopod. Uh, you write sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. You're an illustrator. You are a survivor advocate. So tell us a little bit about balance. How do you keep all that without, you know, getting overwhelmed? I did mention Prozac off screen. So that's a lot. (laughs) Um, But also, uh, I am not the best at balance. I'm really bad at it. I am someone who gets up and I don't start working until I literally collapse around four o'clock sleep and then get up and make dinner because, you know, I'm still married. I have a family and all that, you know, (laughs) um, I'm the worst person to ask about this because my work ethic is unhealthy at this point, but I, especially during 2020, when the uh, pandemic hit, Mm. I discovered something called balance in that um, I was doing a lot of advocacy work and there is nothing worse than a pandemic when people are stuck home with their abusers and uh, doing advocacy. Um, So I took a step back from advocacy work and focused on the other side of that, which is activism work. Mm. And it's less working with victims. It's more working with policy and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, That was emotionally easier. I had about seven people in my family die. I had tons of work in publishing. Everyone's in New York. Uh, Every five seconds you read a, hey, this guy you met at a con is dead. You know? Oh, my God. It's overwhelming. Publishing happens in New York. North got hit the hell out of it. Um, so I end up with this problem that I am overwhelmed. And going toward advocacy, because I still want to do something, and just taking a breather from the emotional load helped. But I had to burn out before I came to that. I feel like there's a lot of people who do that. They just burn out. Um, I'm the type of person that just keeps taking on stuff. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an art show. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to buy these $300 scrolls because I'm a Sumi artist and they're six feet long and I'm going to make some master canvases. Holy shit. They've just been sitting there because they're $300 silk scrolls. And uh, the rule of Sumi is that you one straight line <laughs> and I've wasted $200. So procrastinating, procrastinating because of the pressure of messing up is really high, especially for the cost, sunk cost. Mm. Uh, Sumi's a very man. What are you going to draw in there? um, um, There's a Buddhist uh, saying that uh, never attach your identity to anything that can be taken from you. Mm. And there is a very specific uh, Kona of a woman nude from behind staring off at the mountains. And that is usually the symbol of that Kona. Something you're supposed to think on, like what can't be taken from me? That's hmm. what I attach my identity to. You sit there and think about it. And uh, no good answer. <laughs> no, I'm thinking I'd be nervous too to draw on that. If I fuck mm-hmm. it up, then that's a lot of money. Why well, I bought two? I have two of them. 
<laughs> a lot of money. So uh, those are going to be on sale for uh, like $3,200. Whoa. <laughs> it's like, it was a lot of sunk cost. Mm-hmm. Mess up the, the other one. I have another one <laughs> that I got to worry about. I'd be, I'm just, I can't get over that. I'd be so freaking nervous. It's not like you can go to Michael's and no. pay like 30 bucks for it. Do you, what do you no, do? I, what do you do to practice? Do you practice or is it just like, Hey, let's oh, yeah. give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> I practice, but you can practice strokes. You can't practice the entire piece because it's a six foot tall scroll. What I can do is take rice paper. It's this very thin paper and you can practice strokes that you want to do on it until you feel like I'm really comfortable with how a branch gets slided and slugged, you know, I yeah. do that. That's all you can do. And hold. What, what got you into that? Cause I noticed that that art style uh, is kind of your go-to. What got you into that art style? Honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I like Japanese tradition, part Japanese. Um, maybe I'm, there's part of me that's trying to like connect to like the ancestor or whatnot, like good, because it being being in America, I mean, we're kind of disconnected mm. in a way from our ancestry uh, because the first generation after the ones that came over, they try to Americanize as much as they want, and I'm stuck in the generation that came right after them, and we're craving our roots. Where is our history? Um, that's why my name is Maggie May. It's a Rod Stewart song. So American, right? Rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm at home trying to make Portuguese sweetbread and <laughs> figure out how to sue me paint and make my calligraphy better. It's that crap. <laughs> Portuguese food, food is just simply amazing. Mm-hmm. I make it. Yeah, I mean, like. I vote made it. I make it. <laughs> I mean, it ain't a surprise to you or Brennan. I mean, my a lot of my family is also from Taunton. Um, mm-hmm. That's super heavily Portuguese uh, everything. And when I did eat meat, I really liked linguice, uh, uh Charisse. Charisse. Yep. That's how I say it. I'm a white boy. I can't say that shit. Charisse. <laughs> I like linguisa. Linguisa. Right. I like linguisa better than Charisse. Brennan did. <laughs> Brennan pointed out something to me. He texted me something when we were talking about the Fall River thing. I wanted to bring it up that Fall River really does seem like the dairy of New England. Mm-hmm. Although, wait, that doesn't make sense. Dairy is in New England. Okay. Fall River seems like the dairy of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> fall River is the Fall River of Massachusetts because usually Fall River is my term for the low of a state. <laughs> this part. I mean, it's it's whatever you want it to be. I'm like, I'm living in Jacksonville. I'm like, Baldwin, ugh, that's like the Fall River of Florida. <laughs> well, how long have you been? How long have you been in Florida for? Why Florida? Uh, why Florida? I was chasing a boyfriend, and I ran away <laughs> because I lived in Fall River. Of course, I had that kind of beginning. <laughs> a boyfriend, but I left home at 18. I don't remember how old I am. Well. I'm in my 30s, so 18 to mid-30s, so close to 15 years, I guess. Oh, wow. Or just under 15 years? Yeah. That's all right. I thought I was 32 and I'm 33. No, I'm older than that. <laughs> we won't talk about that, but I know I'm older. <laughs> I don't ask women about their age. That's how I get slapped. <laughs> yeah. Brennan, I'm going to 
give it to you and then I'm going to steal it back. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to go back a little bit. You know, you were talking about, um, well, first of all, you know, Patrick uh, ridiculed me for asking such a question about balance. But <laughs> in the event that we have somebody on here who's, you know, not just known for one thing, but who kind of uh, has their finger in a lot of pies. Um, I I think that that's always a valuable question to ask, even if that person says, you know what, truth be told, I don't handle it well. Um, because I think there are a lot of people who creative types who maybe try one thing, but they end up um, doing a fair bit and they need, <laughs> I don't want to necessarily say they need to know it's okay to not be good at balance mm -hmm. or to have trouble with balance, but to know that that can be an issue. Um, and that even people uh, who, uh, you know, are, are putting up this beautiful art, who, you know, are writing these creepy ass long nails women's stories um, and who are, you know, helping with with advocacy and just with he, like kind of human stuff, uh, you know, helping people uh, be their best uh, are still going to kind of struggle with those issues. Um, yeah, nothing's also, terrain here. Yes, yeah, exactly. I'm a mess. Um, I will admit I'm a, I'm a mess. <laughs> I was at a convention and uh, last convention was at Multiverse and one of the editors of my company, Jessica, was there and she saw me running back and forth. And I was like, oh, my neck hurts and I was running forth. And she stopped me and said, when was the last time you ate? And I was like, yesterday. And it was like four o'clock in the afternoon. Already. And she's like, I'm going to go get you pho just cupping the face i'm gonna get you faux because you're not all right right now <laughs> and it, it helps to have people who just can know the signs of you're breaking down and stop you i would not survive without other people yeah i i, I think that i you know <laughs> i i try not to burn the candle at both ends to to burn out but to have a support system right here at home to say, gee, you've been sitting at that desk for an awfully long time. And do you really need to edit that for four hours straight? Uh, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. you should come out of there and, you know, read a book or watch some TV or eat some lunch. And get a drink. Um, <laughs> yeah. To have something with a proof. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's an invaluable support system. Yeah. I'm working on it. Um, I bought a a little tracker. Basically, I'm I'm the neopet I'm trying to keep alive. It tells me when I'm tired. It tells me when I'm dehydrated. It tells me when I haven't moved around in a half hour period. It tells me how long I've slept. <laughs> it tells me when my heart rate gets too high from anxiety. I am the neopet and I'm trying to keep myself alive at this point. <laughs> so well I anything outside of me that can, can keep track. Other people, devices, because I'm a mess. I... I don't know what balance is half the time. Um, and that's okay. That's most people. I don't think if I sat here and being like, I got everything together and I have the answers, huh, it really wouldn't be helpful to anyone. I mm. did a podcast with Chuck Windig uh, late last year, and it was about balance in the age of the, the vid, you know, and uh, he would be far more insightful for you to interview on this topic because I was sitting there like they're supposed to be interviewing me as well, but I'm just like Chuck, give me the answers, and I bought his mug. <laughs> I haven't announced it yet, but we are having him on. Uh, yeah. 
summer. Yeah, summer. This summer. Right. Tell him uh, I, I love him and he uh, helped me. <laughs> <laughs> I am a, a, a friggin' mess and he was a guru that had some answers. <laughs> he, I got questions for him too. Like, how the fuck do you write so many fat books? <laughs> like break his hand. Tell him I want to break his hand. <laughs> I hope that your, your Neopet is not uh going to end up like my tamagotchi which uh yeah. died with little uh eight bit pieces of sh- poop <laughs> surrounded because yeah. i didn't clean it <laughs> it had a little uh, uh wings on the side. Yeah. yeah remember those i mean i think they're mm-hmm. coming back or have come back uh, yeah you're, you're transporting us all back to 1995 now <laughs> mm-hmm. the age of duncan yo-yos and <laughs> I love that. I have fireball, fireball yo-yos, pretty big ones. Mm-hmm. Pogs. I still have my pogs. Yep. All of them. The slammers. <laughs> yeah, Brent and I were talking about all that crap a couple months ago. Uh, I miss that. Childhood's fun. Um, and traumatic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, my God. I have had a sick child the last few days, and mm-hmm. it's been a lot. So my brain's poop right now. Uh, Brennan, do you have one more thing to cover us? Why my uh, I go search my memory banks for whatever the fuck I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to add in um, that I, I found it just interesting. You said you have to burn out before you can move on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. You, you keep hitting the, us with these little profundities and most of them are just describing what a hellhole fall river was, but that's, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's a, that's a good, you know, non-Massachusetts one um, to know when it's time to do something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, usually what they say, like rock bottom is a foundation to uh, move on. I, I like, yeah, every time I spend, I burnt out. I'm at my wit's end. I can't do any more. And it's just kind of like rolling over to something else that's easier to compound and like you have to nourish yourself back up. It would be healthier to nourish as I go, but I find that I burn out. There's no fuel left. And then I kind of just recede and start bringing in fuel. Um, doing all this stuff, small business owner, editor, you know, it adds up. <laughs> and I have trolls that attack me like every day. <laughs> that adds up. <laughs> That's why oh, on my Twitter right now. No one I likes trolls. My own stuff and people leave me the hell alone. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah, fuck them. Um, Joe Meinhart, that's who I wanted to talk about. Um, he, he is the owner, founder of Crystal Lake Publishing. He I forget when it was years ago. So that uh, you, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, um, it's great to try to pursue your writing career, but don't allow it to overcome uh, your family life because you may end up single. And I'm balancing. I have a young family, two two year old, mm-hmm. and a and a, a wife. And um, yeah, it's uh, like yesterday. I wanted to write. I wanted to work on. Uh, working on a short story and wasn't happening. And I, you know, I often remind myself and I'm only bringing this up because maybe it'll help someone listening, but um, I can remind myself that my little guy ain't going to be little forever. And I'm Mm -hmm. really, really going to miss these times. So 
those are always better than short story. Yeah, be present. Yeah, yeah, that's something I'm working my. I'm 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 working on that every day. I'm not very good at it some days. Um, yeah, because I always have that worry that um, because I'm the type of personality that does this, uh, you make whatever you're doing your life. So you don't have a life. I talked about that Kona, like don't attach your identities, anything someone can take from you. That's so much like getting caught up in writing or a, a career or art to the point where it should be supplementing the joy in your life now, but now it's your entire life. Meaning your real life is, you know, your kid, your family mm. and it's dwindling away. I did a, been doing a keto since I was like, college early college and there was a point to where it was basically it was a career aikidoka that's what i was and but then one day i had a falling out um with the uh husband of my sensei like this guy is just a piece of work it's like the typical narcissistic guy basically hmm. because i had a falling out with him i finally said to my sensei i can't take this and uh, then you know she's gonna choose her husband over me and I was gone. I was gone and no one in my federation would touch me as a student. No one. So this thing that was my entire life, basically my career and how much time I put into it, gone. Wow. But now I'm doing a keto again and it's so different. I stood home from a keto class tonight to do this podcast because huh. I decided <laughs> this podcast is important. It's not huh. that not important, but I need the practice, the ability to say no to that keto and say yes to the other facets of my life. Well, we appreciate the hell out of that. And that is, <laughs> that's, that's really interesting to bring up. You know, um, I got up and so I got caught up in social media too much to the point where I, uh, I took two months off and it helps me mm-hmm. pull my head out my ass. So I, I can definitely, uh, understand that. Um, is there for those that don't know, um, I kind of want to touch on this before I forget about it, but you're uh, the advocacy um, for, well, specifically survivor advocacy. I can't say that word. Uh, Is there a whole lot that people can do online or is there places that you would suggest looking into? Um, Mostly um, uh, I've been dealing with, uh, now that we're in activism, uh, con safety, convention safety. And um, of course, I would suggest any women's shelter, please donate, please volunteer. In Jacksonville, we have the Hubbard House. There's there's something near you. Um, you can, that thing you can do is um, uh, treat victims as though you believe them, just mm. as you believe them. Mm. Um, don't default with criticism. Um, that's always helpful. It destigmatizes because I rather um, believe them and be wrong than believe a rapist and be wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah, kind of a big. I rather believe a liar than believe a rapist. So I always side with the liar, which is Mm. quote unquote. Yeah, there is a lot of talk about. like for those that may know it, Brian Keene's the horror show. He, he mm-hmm. brought it up a few times. Um, Dick Lehman, Richard Lehman's daughter had a terrible incident. Um, and I'm only naming her because she was talking on yeah. 
the podcast. Don't keep it open about it. Don't name <laughs> should say that. Don't don't name people unless they're they're yeah. very, very clear on it's okay. But she was on an episode talking about it. And um it, it's more rampant than I ever would have imagined. Um I've only rampant. I've only been to one con and that was scares of care last year. Um but I'm a big dude, so I got no idea. I, I probably won't ever have any understanding of it. Um, what can you tell people that are thinking about going to conventions or whatever? Because it's not exclusive to book conventions. Um, you should get uh, in touch on the online community of that convention before you go. You can tell a lot about what the atmosphere and really uh, the culture is going to be like just by the people who are online that go to it. Um, every uh, convention should have an HR or something similar to an HR. Um, if they don't, they probably aren't equipped to handle assault and harassment. Um, you, a lot of cons, their only statement about harassment is, don't worry, come tell me, and I'll do something about it. That actually isn't, it, like, it's like sentiment appreciated. You know, but it actually isn't the answer to what's going on. That is right. fix something after it already happened. They should have plans in place to prevent that sort mm. of thing. Um, and usually it is a big guy who says, just come to me, which is, again, sentiment appreciated. Thank you for looking out for people. But uh, I've been getting this a lot with cons is men say that, appreciate that. But I was like, do you know uh, one out of every 10 is men? who get assaulted at conventions. So you say that as if you will never be a victim. Mm. Even if you're a big burly man, you think you'll never be a victim. Um, Cause I, I it's, it's just hard. It's really hard, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I wouldn't even, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously ignorant on it. I never would have even thought of that. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean, and, I just said I'm a big guy. So I probably, yeah, you, yeah I just. You, it might. And you, you'll think, oh, and some people say, well, if that happens, I can just punch the dude. And I was like, what if it's a woman? Are you going to punch her? Is there a in this world? Uh, okay, what if it is uh, someone who has control over your career? Would you punch him? What if it is your best friend for years that you've trusted and for you to confront them about it would destroy decades of a relationship? It's complicated. Like, there's all these reasons why you being a big guy wouldn't just punch the person. Yeah, that ain't always the answer. I mean, it's probably there, not. There's a lot of... People don't assault or harass, abuse other people that uh, they are on equal footing with. So what will happen is you, a big burly guy that's intimidating, hmm. you're, anyone who's intimidated isn't going to have dare do that to you. Um, they, the people that will do that to you is the people that have a disproportionate amount of power to you. Hmm. Feel safe because you won't tell because you'll lose your career, you'll lose your social standing. It'll fuck your life up. So you'll never tell. Um, and you'll be sure that no one believe you if you did because of how well respected this person is in your industry. That's the story I hear from men at conventions. And they are honestly feeling what women feel at that moment. The thing is men don't report. But it's, I don't can't tell you the exact statistics. Like one out of every 10 reports is a and the thing is, those are usually gay men. They hmm. usually comfortable reporting. That's sad. Setting. Uh, straight men very rarely report, and I know it's happening more often. 
Probably. Um, again, I have only a terrible segue unless you got you, Maggie or Brennan, you have anything to add on to this. Um, all I got to really say is just like, you know, speak up and, and kind of do your research to just look out for yourself. And I didn't mean to take away the problem of women in con convention. No, it's, it's just like in my mind, it clicked like the most under talked about thing in con safety is men's what men deal with. Your uh, of a victim is always a woman. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really even thought of it. Well, I mean, I'm repeat myself. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, though. Yeah, it's very important to remember that the abuser, it's never going to be that creepy guy with greasy hair wearing the sweaty night wish shirt in the corner of <laughs> convention. That guy has no power. Everyone thinks he's creepy. Everyone would tell on him in a minute. Right. Not going to be the one assaulting someone. It's going to be someone that you can't tell on every time. That sucks. Got to keep that in your mind, which is why it's harder. <laughs> and I just, I, for me personally, I mean, I just think like, well, I don't write currently have a career right now. And uh, I got my family to lean back on. I know everyone doesn't. Yeah. So I would just, I don't know. I feel like I would just kind of walk away. I don't really like confrontation. Mm-hmm. Or tell them to go fuck themselves when I'd walk away. Yeah. <laughs> I'll fight. If you got uh, nothing to lose, I mean, it's a lot easier. But you would never be a target if you didn't have anything to lose either. That's true. True. Well, these are good points. Um, yeah, if you guys are okay with it, I'd actually like to talk about your writing a little bit there, Maggie. Me? Okay. Tell for those that don't know, potential uh, readers, what you. I mean, we've already tackled what you write, but specifically some books that you are a part of. Um, Right now, I'm mostly a part of podcasts because I work for podcasts and having short stories out on podcasts, Um, um, horror, fantasy and science fiction. Um, Specifically, I am working on and just pretty much finished a epic fantasy. So as a horror writer... <laughs> I'm writing well, I'm interested. I'm interested. Yeah. Tell, tell me about that. Epic um, I, I have been studying Kabuki for like years and years and years. And I made a second world fantasy um, based upon uh, it's very Edo Japan. It's not Edo Japan, it's second world, but it's very Edo Japan. I just didn't want to play with the history of Japan because you can't change like too much without it. Uh, you know, someone's going to yell at you. Uh, so make it second world uh, <laughs> or alternate history. Um, but it's uh, based on the structure of a kabuki play. Because we all know, like, you know, the Joseph Campbell way of the hero uh, three act play. That's our it's a very Western way of telling a story. Um, but if you've ever been a fan of like, you know, uh, Yojimbo, you know, the old um, uh, thir- samurai, the old uh, samurai movies, yeah. you'll know that uh, Japanese storytelling is five parts. They are five part plays. Hmm. And Kabuki is five parts or instances of five parts. They can be up to 15. It's always five segment. So that was a long way to say that. I'm, at, I'm attempting, I think I did pretty well, to uh, try to structure for a modern uh, fantasy audience uh, the traditions of kabuki storytelling. That's pretty damn cool. Um, it's right now called kabuki. It might change. I don't know. 
yeah, um, that that is really interesting. And I did see that some of your influences uh, we share. Uh, one of them was C.S. Lewis talked about Chronicles of Narnia, but also an interesting one, Philip K. Dick. I'm just, you know, I'd like to know what it is about Dick that you, that's not how I want to work that. What is it about Philip K. Dick that you are, that you find so Dick? Dick I love. <laughs> What is, about, what is it about philip kd that you like so much um i probably the heroin uh <laughs> there was in seriousness yeah the, the heroin um he was always this line between what is real and not real um he's a master of the uh, re- in, uh unreliable storyteller because there was always like a break in reality for him. So once I read Scanners Darkly, you know, like you watch the movie Blade Runner and, you know, all that. And it's like, yeah, there's this feeling of not quite being conscious in the stories that's going very unreliable. And I know that that's probably because he was a drug addict. <laughs> that's how probably <laughs> all the time. Um, but not advocating drug use put out there but uh yeah i found that very interesting i now kind of i'm in love with the unreliable narrator honestly it's yeah it's really addicting um because it leads to more questions and you got more people talking eventually too so it's a yeah it's the movie dick effect because that's an unreliable narrator ishmael He's talking about like little skip ships as though they were the Ark of the Covenant coming down, put on the angels. This guy is out of it. It's that was one of my first things about unreliable narrator. Someone making me read a Moby Dick, and the only thing I found great about it was I really liked the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> what about the the Brennan? Yeah, I talked about Moby Dick off here, and uh, he. Uh, you talk about it. I don't want to misquote you. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're thinking of the fact that there are just multiple chapters that read like a visit to a natural history museum. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you were talking about specifically, I wanted to talk about the last chapter. You said basically that's like, it's it kind of is worth it at the end. Yeah. I mean, anybody who knows the story of, of Moby Dick and, um, you know, picks up the 500 page book or whatever it is. I mean, you're, you, you can kind of skip to page 480 and there's your story. Um, if yeah. you, if you don't want to wade through the, uh, um, the whale anatomy and the history of, you know, New Bedford and the unreliable narration, uh, you can, you can get all your action in, in about 20 pages. Mm-hmm. New Bedford, the sister city of Fall River. They're almost like yeah. <laughs> right near each other. connected by goblin tunnels, probably. Yes, they are. <laughs> are they really? I had yeah, never heard of the underwater before, but it's underwater across the you got it like ta- anywhere the Totten River flows, there are underground tunnels. Yeah, I don't like that. It's unsettling. Yeah, it's unsettling. We, there's cave-ins sometimes. It's horrible. Um, but yeah, uh, being an editor, it's hard to read books like Moby Dick. Because you like you have a hatchet in your hand, it was like you have a little red pen, and you just want to put little things everywhere, like over-explaining. This is passive, you know. <laughs> Cut this chapter. 
this character appeared and then they were never mentioned again. Where'd they go? <laughs> I do wonder if like Melville was alive now. I mean, I don't think it'd be about whaling, but be one I'd be curious how he as a modern writer would tackle that story. Probably a lot differently. And it's mostly because um back then they paid per the word. We pay for the word now, but we have we have limits. Mm. We actually have like even big houses like Tor, they have a limit to how much words they're willing to pay you for. <laughs> um, and back then, I believe uh, Dickinson specifically, um, he wrote huge freaking books, just rambling and rambling stories, serials that never ended. And it came down to it. They paid him two cents a word in that money time, meaning do the inflation on that. Oh, my mm. God. <laughs> two cents a word on the Christmas carol. My God. Um, and he made them as wordy as possible because he owed money to a Russian gambler. A bookie <laughs> in Russia. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm looking up what the inflation rate would be. Yeah, because that was... It's 1843. 1843. Two cents per word. So, uh, I have an inflation. <laughs> Holy shit. I got an inflation. No, that's not. Hold up. <laughs> I'll let you do your math. I don't know if there's any truth to this, but I had heard that, you know, like in, in, in Dickens time, they paid by the words. So you get these like rambling narratives and these extreme descriptions that just, you know, pad the word count. Whereas, uh, somebody like, um, I'm thinking like Dumas and Hugo, got paid by the page so you know you you get these massive tomes but like there's so much uh dialogue in there so there's just not that much on every page mm-hmm. um I, I i don't know why i'm throwing it out to you but do you know anything about that i don't know anything about that but it makes sense um i know writers like dumas were uh, slightly uh, more marginalized at his time in the field um his social standing wasn't great um, same thing with Victor Hugo, and this might be a very French problem, uh, <laughs> but he was marginalized. Um, he was an advocate for um, sex workers in his time. He was not only a patron of sex workers, he actually uh, uh, petitioned for their rights and their safety and, and everything. He hung out every day at brothels. They were his friends. They called him daddy, <laughs> like basically. <laughs> so uh, he had a love for because you're uh, Les Mis, um, there's a reason why uh, there's a character that's a prostitute and she's the most sympathetic character. He had that in his heart, but it marginalized him in his society. And I can see him getting pay- uh, paid by the page because of that. Um, yeah. And Dumas as well. Dumas was a, a black man. Um, he His background uh, affected his social standing. At the time, he was still one of the most wealthiest uh, black men, but a wealthy black man, especially in that era, will never be as good as a wealthy white man in that era. But he's a very impressive figure. His life is like crazy. That's but really interesting. I can see it being by the page and not quite getting everything you deserve and then just kind of padding dialogue because you know it's going to stack. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled that I just threw two random authors at you and you gave us so much information about both of them 
I can't get I, I'm I'm struggling to find an answer on two cents, but I am seeing that a uh hundred dollars in eighteen forty-three is worth three thousand seven hundred and ninety-nine dollars. So yeah, you just gotta do math now. Yeah, too hard. <laughs> I can do it. The inflation calendar. Oh no, it's too back in time. There's no record. That's why. Too far back in time. It's before the uh, government started tracking inflation. <laughs> I'm going to say eight cents a word. No, nope, yeah. I'm going to say 23 cents a word. But whatever it was. Is a oh, lot. no, it, it would be over $10 now. <laughs> would it really? Yeah, it has to be because I. Oh, man. My dad made a dollar an hour at the pump. And he's always like, these damn kids with their 7, 15 or 25 or whatever. And I was like, dad. You made like $13 an hour in this today's money. No wonder you could afford a family of three. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did, I, did I miss something or is your dad a writer? No, my dad is not a writer. <laughs> my dad is a circuit board uh, draftsman. Oh, okay. And at one time a gas station <laughs> attendant. <laughs> he used to be a gas station attendant. When he made a dollar an hour. He didn't. Holy shit. <laughs> dad, that's like $13 now, okay? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. I want to jump ahead to what are you currently reading? So, Maggie, what are you currently reading? Velvet was the night. Oh, um, uh, God, I forget her name. Mar- Mar- Maria. Oh, Maria. I'm gonna let you try it. Silvio <laughs> Moreno Garcia. Damn it! Mm-hmm, there we there go. go. I can't think for <laughs> shit tonight, man. I bought it because um, I love uh, gothic. Uh, Mexican Gothic. If you read Mexican Gothic, if you haven't, what the fuck's wrong with you? Go read Mexican Gothic by her. Um, I love Mexican Gothic so much. I pre-ordered her the next book that was coming out, and I am not disappointed. It is a, it is a noir set in uh, you, you know, I think sixties, seventies uh, era Mexican city, Mexico City. Sounds really cool. It is cool. It's smoky. It has that same vibe of, you know, of all the women in this world, you know, <laughs> walking in here. I feel it's that heavy, <laughs> smoky, noir feel, which I, she did excellent at that tone. Um, yeah, I got to I gotta read that. That, that sounds so cool. Uh, and read Mexican Gothic, because this is a horror podcast. <laughs> I know. I've been wanting since I saw the cover, what, last year? It's a gothic romance, and it is flipping amazing. The magic system for how the horror works will, like, surprise and trick you and hurt your brain. It's amazing. It's very unique. <laughs> I want to experience that. Brandon, what, uh, yeah. what are you reading? Uh, I'm just thinking we're coming off of Mexican gothic and Velvet Was the Night, which is just sheer class, like, beautiful noir, <laughs> like, wonderful prose. And I'm going to take us to the the bargain basement. Uh, I'm reading Clickers by Dan <laughs> Bargain yes. basement. Oh, no. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, nothing against Gonzalez, you know, because this is this is his wheelhouse is, you know, the the um, bloody and disgusting creature mm-hmm. feature. And, you know, he he certainly knew what he was doing there. Um, and I've never read any of the Clickers books. So. I am diving into this one so that I can go into the ones that uh, Keen co-wrote with him. Uh, and I am enjoying it because it's just a bunch of little crab, lobster, scorpions just decimating people. I mean, what's not to love? You can't be 
a, a lover of horror, you can't be an editor in horror without a great appreciation for what we call the punchums, which is just ugly monster punch the monster. <laughs> punchums. We consider it own, the punchums their own genre. <laughs> it's, it's pulp. It's 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 mm-hmm. rooted in the history of the genre. You can you you're absolutely right. You can't get around it. You can't avoid it. <laughs> Always has this very Sinbad feel. Like there's not a whole lot of character development, but he's badass. Yep. Badass doing badass things. And you have to love that pulpiness in work and horror. I don't know how you get around it because two thirds of the stories coming across your desk are going to be like that. Mm. I like Sinbad. He is funny. He's in my favorite. He's in my favorite Christmas movie. That's uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger. I thought you were telling a joke, but you're serious right now. Aren't he's you? hilarious. Wait. Jingle, jingle no, all no, the way. He's serious right now. He is completely serious, Maggie. Right, he has look, no idea who Sinbad I'm not saying, is. I'll, wait, what? <laughs> we are not talking about the comedian. Uh, there's a great history of Islamic storytelling you need to know oh, about. Whoa, that went way over my head. Eggs on my face, and I'm not cutting that. I, I just want to know what movie you're referring to where Sinbad is a badass. <laughs> well, he goes around punching monsters. <laughs> Sorry, I heard Sinbad in my mind jump to Jingle all the way. He wasn't a badass. Shazam! <laughs> A movie that never existed. <laughs> yeah, just like the Bernstein beers, right? Yeah. <laughs> so what am I reading? I'm reading uh, Born for Trouble by Joe Lansdale, which just so happens we will be talking with him, Casey Lansdale, with guest host, Sadie Hartman, a.k.a. Mother Horror, next awesome. week. Very excited it. for that. Yeah, she's, if you like horror, I, I can't even say independent horror. Um she covers pretty much everything, so mm-hmm. she's kind of a hybrid author almost. Yeah, fair enough. Does um, everything. I, I'm not arguing with that, uh, listeners. If you want to check out Sinbad, just get it. If you want to check out our website, <laughs> <laughs> I have never 135 episodes. I have never been so embarrassed for you. It's public domain. You know, that's uh, all right. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> Yeah, uh, totally. Hey, I'll blame it on my ADHD. And Brennan should feel bad. Nope. Oh, okay. Wait, it's okay. It's a, it's a really new story. It's only like, what, 700 years old? Oh, man. <laughs> um, go to our website, deadheadspace.com. You can check out Maggie's story. Seriously, it's super creepy. Uh, Maggie, where can people follow you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at mm underscore shill. That's S C H I L L. I have a website that is very bad because I need to update it and get someone who knows how to build a website involved. But that is mmshill.com. Again, shill is spelled S C H I L L. You're good at this, like you do this for a living. Oh, yeah, I do this for a living. So, what are your Her last name is Shill? Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. You should be a host, Brian. You're really good at this too. So, uh, do you have any final thoughts? <laughs> you don't get paid though. You should, as should I. Yeah, um, uh, Pseudopod does pay. There uh, you go, bud. A lot of these pro markets uh, use free labor, but Pseudopod and Escape Artists does not. They pay. I use free labor, but my excuse is that I pay for the show and I don't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> if CEO isn't going to pay, no one's going to pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we get free books, though. Yay! Yeah. They can, they can uh, go on the bookshelf and not pay the mortgage. But yeah, You make tens of dollars in books. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts? Um, I don't know. I'm bad at that final thoughts, honestly. Um, I'm just happy of anyone who got through this COVID and we're still going through it. And if you can find any solace right now, um, you're awesome. That's, yeah, that's a great way to end that. Be Brent. better than me. Be better than me. Don't burn out. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, any final thoughts? And if you do burn out, on to the next endeavor. Mm-hmm. Put the put the put the fuel in and on to the next endeavor. Uh mm-hmm. Maggie, I want to thank you for your time. I know that you, you had stuff to do tonight and you came here anyway. I'm also really glad that when you disappeared into the background, you eventually came back. <laughs> yes. My vampire moment. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to um kind of piggyback off of Brendan. And I really like that. I'm actually gonna put down a preview, all that bit about uh Le Miz and um sympathy for sex workers i mean it's still an issue mm-hmm. it is I, per- I personally don't understand why two adults can't have sex and pay for it you already do like when you meet like you know when you meet someone you love eventually you pay for it in one form or the other they just get it mm-hmm. cut they're just cut and dry but no oh, yeah. strings attached. <laughs> i don't pay the mortgage <laughs> i mean it would save and for real it would say i'm not saying anything new to you guys but it would um it would save a lot of lives too and probably mm-hmm. make it safer yeah you yeah. could start a union you, yeah regulate start some kind of union or some kind of um safety network mm-hmm. where they're not going to back corners getting hooked on fucked up drugs and getting raped no you see if it was regulated that'd be a system that would benefit women as they make their own money sex mm-hmm. drugs and, and rock making and roll. their money and being deprecated as they make their own money um Everyone makes money. You make money. I make money. Everyone sells their time and body to make money. Yeah. I'd be judgmental over how you choose to sell your body. <laughs> Listeners, you have made choices in podcasting. Thank you for picking us. 